Welcome to the Jesus Image Podcast. Well, uh, last week we finished our, our focus on the baptism of Jesus uh, for the most part. And now I'm going to lead you to the end of that baptism. I should say the Lord will lead us to the end of that baptism. And I'm going to move into the wilderness account, the temptation of the Lord Jesus, because that's what happened after he was baptized in the Jordan. Amen? Amen. Prophetically, I felt over the last few days, I just got back yesterday from preaching for Pastor Randy Needham and their church there at Dwelling Place. And um, it was a wonderful, wonderful gathering. David came with me. We just had an incredible time in the Lord. It was good to see Pastor Randy and Miss Lucy, and they'll be here soon uh, to minister. And um, Garen was there and Miller, and I think Rev, Pastor Paul Teske's preaching there right now. Hopefully they all brought their seatbelts <laughs> for the Rev. And uh, it was just a blessed time. And on the way home, I began to think about what the body of Christ is being faced with um, what houses who are pursuing his pure presence are being faced with. And what Paul really gave so much of his time to, and if you read the priestly prayers of Jesus in John's gospel, you hear really the same focus in the heart of Jesus that was the focus of the apostle Paul, that, that his people, listen, would be one with each other and one in him. I'm discovering after, so we started meeting on Sunday nights five years ago. I think we finally started meeting on Sunday mornings two and a half years ago. Is that about right, Carla? It would be three years this Easter, like around Easter, right? So look at what the Lord has done in, in three years here. It's a, we should thank him. This is beautiful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm, I'm discovering that so much of our time is given to the teaching of the word with regards to us being one in the presence of God. And that that is a reflection of our oneness with the Lord Jesus. So much of pastoring is teaching the people how to spit out the bones. Because you can really only, you know, I was talking to a, that was funny. I wish y'all were there. Y'all would have laughed. Um, there was a group of like young youth sitting to the left on the floor where I was preaching on Friday night and a group of young youth sitting on the right. So I was surrounded by these, uh, you know, little Gen Z guys and, um, who we love. And this place is primarily filled with. So don't ever leave. We love you here. And I, somebody asked a, a, a nice question. Why is it only the young people up front? We want to honor what God is doing in the next generation. We want them to be that undergirding fire. We want them one day to step into our shoes and do much more than we've ever done. And for too long, we've pushed them in the back corner and said, hey, 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 
uh, y'all just do your wild stuff in the back corner. No, here we say, come do your wild stuff right up here. Lead us. Be like a coal undergirding uh, fire that, that is keeping us on our toes in the spirit. And I love that. I really do. Some of the young people were there and I said, hey, maybe you should get off of TikTok if you're going to speak on behalf of God and actually experience and learn the Lord. This part was funny. I said, I know y'all grew in, you, most of you grew up in churches hearing you've got something to say. I said, well, tonight you have nothing to say. <laughs> we don't want to hear it. Give your heart to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Learn the Holy Scriptures. Let God process you. And if God processes you and there's a true gift that is coming to the surface, God will speak to the church, specifically leaders. I don't mean the leaders of Jesus, amen. I mean the leaders of his body. And this is how it works. They will eventually say, we recognize God's grace on you. Then look at your character. And in the early church, the church would announce something over a leader when he was ordained. They would say, axios, and that means worthy. Worthy. So the fathers, the leaders, the bishops, the elders, the deacons, they recognized Christ-like character and grace, and then they said, speak to us. But today, you don't even need to know John 3.16, and you can enter yourself in, into the ministry. And this breeds a lot of divisions. Theological divisions, I mean, aren't you glad there will be no denominational division in heaven? Yes. I'm super excited about that. I was playing golf with a friend, a pastor the other day. He's been in the ministry, gosh, I don't know, 40 or 50 years. And uh, he was telling me that he meets with certain church leaders in the city. An older man, an older father, and he meets with them and loves on them, and they are very kind to him in person. And then when he, when he leaves their presence, uh, the leadership of other churches says he's a cult leader. And he's not a cult leader. He's a wonderful man. And I begin to think through, how does the church even get to that place? It's because we lose. We lose the basic teachings of the Lord Jesus. We lose the awareness that all of us one day we'll have to give an account for our own hearts. Honestly, there, if I wanted to, I could take this platform and I could move the dial uh, if I wanted to confront everybody who's wrong. And, and we, we could do that, you see. But what I discovered is, is that, man, I'm 46, right? 46, 40 <laughs> something in there, six or seven. I always keep track of Tiger Woods' age and subtract two. That's how I remember how old I am. <laughs> you guys think Tiger's one of the two witnesses? No, I'm just joking. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. Joke. Calm down. It's a joke. <laughs> so I began to think, gosh, my life is more than halfway over, probably. Who knows? I have a lot of work to do in my own soul. And it's becoming more real to me. 
how much I need the Lord to do in my own heart. Does that make sense? And the end is more near. So the reality of me standing before the Lord is more real to me than it's ever been. And so I don't have the right, for me personally, Paul talks about him speaking into the realm of his authority. He never spoke outside of that. So there are things I could say here at the church that are within the realm of my authority. There are things that I, I could say to the body of Christ that are outside of my realm of authority. And when I speak outside of my realm of authority, division comes. Because the, the Lord's protection rests within that realm of authority. And it's why it's so important when you receive a mandate from the Lord, whether it's a message or a teaching, for those of you who are Bible teachers or pastors or visiting missionaries, whatever you're doing, God spoke to you in the beginning and gave you a mandate. And Paul talks about this in his life. He says towards the end of his life, I have been faithful to the heavenly vision, to my vision of the Lord. And he's taking his, himself back and the church back to the place of his initial encounter on the road to Damascus. And he could say at the end of his life, I've been faithful to that moment. I've kept the message. I've run the race. I've fought the good fight. And oftentimes, when we begin to step outside of our authority, without knowing, the message changes in us. And when the message changes in us, you will always see a lack of the moisture of God's presence. The grace of the Spirit lifts. I'm not saying His indwelling presence within us lifts. No, He said, I'm with you always. But the grace of the Spirit uh, what, what the early fathers would call the energy of God, the power of God, that precious anointing, it begins to vaporize because the Bible says one fly in the ointment makes the ointment putrid. Just a little one fly in the perfume ruins it all. And I've, I've been more and more aware personally of my own heart standing before Jesus. And I want to encourage all of you to do that. All of us, all of us, I want you to think of this. I'll get into the message in a second. <laughs> all of us are going to give an account, not just for the things we did or did not do. Think about this. This is for Christians. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah, Paul said we'll give an account for everything done in the body. How many of you think Paul was a Christian? Okay, so when Paul says we... That includes Christians. So I want us to take a second and slowly meditate on this truth. We will give an account for everything done in the body. All right. Now, in God's holy fire, we've talked about this. Paul addresses this to the Corinthians. God doesn't just look at the action, but he begins to test the motive. That's scary, guys. That means you could give 
the, however, how many more million do we need to be debt free on phase one? A lot. You could give it all today with the wrong motive and God not receive it. But we would. <laughs> we will, but God may not. <laughs> That's on you. <laughs> That's a, a very sobering thought, huh? So you can lead someone to Jesus on the street. Hold on. For the wrong reason. Now I'm saying you should lead people to Jesus all the time. Like in the mornings if I see cash laying around, I'm not joking, I put it in my pocket and say, Lord, lead me to somebody. Lead it. Lead me to somebody so that I can speak into their life. But it's possible to do all this for the wrong reason. So if I lead people to Jesus so that I can post it on YouTube and I never lead people to Jesus unless I have a camera guy with me, there might be something wrong with that. Not always, but there could be. And God begins to challenge the motive because that's what the word does. It tests the intentions of the heart. So when I think like that, I'm thinking, am I preaching because I love Jesus this morning? Or because I, this is just what I do? Is the team posting that about me? to further the gospel, or to grow my page. I, I, I need to get into the light of God and say, search me and know me, as the psalmist wrote. That's regarding our actions. But, but, but did you know that God hears our thoughts? So, so think about the intentionality as the coming of the Lord in, in, uh, nears Think about the intentionality that is required to stand before him without regret. I want that. I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want the works that I offer him to burn in holy fire. That's what Paul said. We will be saved, but our works will be tested with holy fire. And you've heard this a million times, but I want it to register because it's bigger than church. This is vital. If you can get your eyes off of others and get them on Jesus and you, the church would be much better off. And so it's not that I could not listen to everyone preach and take, use this platform with millions of people watching. And, but but the, that's not the point. The point is there's too much in Michael within the motives of my heart that need the divine processing of the Holy Spirit. And I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. So Paul writes something like this. Something might be permissible, but not beneficial. It might be permissible for me to do that. But is it beneficial to my soul? And the next question is, is, do I have the authority to speak on behalf of the church? Is it within my realm of authority? So my challenge to all of us is this. I want you to be aware of the day where your motives will be made known 
Think of this from the words of Jesus. Every idle word will be judged. It doesn't mean you can't joke around unless you joke a certain way. Every idle word. That means we're to mind our tongues. It means it's deeply spiritual to want to say something and not. It's, I, re, I think I told you all this. I'll, I'll remind you. One day, a man in our church in California had a problem. I don't know. I think he wanted to preach more in the church. Which is, I don't know. That thing is like a disease that never goes away. He wasn't even on staff. It's like, oh, okay. So what do you want me to do while you're preaching? Sit there and listen. I go, okay, so... Why am I here? And who are you? <laughs> so he called a meeting. We had the meeting with him. And I knew he wasn't telling the truth in the meeting. So I freaked him out, which I like to do. <laughs> I said, so-and-so. I looked him in the eye. He was sitting across the desk. I go, it's just him and I talking. I said, hey, just between the five of us, tell me what really happened. He goes, He's looking around for the other three. He goes, Pastor, there's only two. I go, oh, no, no. Me, you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I said, they're all listening. So I'm going to ask you again. Are you telling me the truth? Uh, well, now that you put it like that, no. What if we lived always putting it like that? What if we believed the Bible? That every word he hears and that we will give an account for. Let me talk about this word account. It's quite similar to being audited. Where the accountant combs every column and looks at every single column on the paper in the file that is what will happen under the great light of the glorious Christ when he takes an account. The account will be motive driven. So now we've talked about the motive of our works. Listen carefully. The motive of our words, what we say idly or not. Or, I want you to, I shouldn't say or. Additionally, additionally, God hears our thoughts. I was discussing this with little Benny yesterday. It's called the hospitality of Abraham. In fact, I think Mac referred to it in the offering. You talked about the Lord coming in Abraham offering. Something, right? The Lord comes with two angels who are about to go take care of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible teaches that the Lord stays back with Abraham. So we consider this a theophany where Jesus Christ is revealed in his pre-incarnate form, which happens multiple times in the Bible. And the Lord tells Abraham that his wife, Sarah, will be with child in a year. You're talking about two people over the age of 90. Uh, 
I don't need to do a birds and bees biology talk, but that's quite the uh, promise. Sarah's there cooking all alone, thinking no one's listening. And the Bible says she just merely laughs within herself. So she's cooking here. Abraham is here with the Lord. He tells Abraham, your wife will be with child. She's getting that fatted calf ready for him, making him some yogurt and some cheese. God loves Greek food. I'm telling you all that. I mean, even what your pastor eats is biblical. You guys are so blessed this morning. All right. So the, the lady's cooking. And she laughs within herself. Huh. I could have a baby. So the Bible says she laughs within herself. And the Lord says to Abraham, why'd she laugh? Why'd she laugh? She didn't laugh out loud. She laughed within herself. And then she goes, I didn't laugh. He goes, you did laugh. Don't you love Jesus? You did laugh. What's the point? He hears the thoughts of the heart and has something to say about them. Is anyone being cut open by the fear of the Lord right now? So on that day, my works will be judged. My words will be judged. And the very thoughts of the heart, I need help. Anyone else need help here? So I want our full-time job as a church to be the Lord Jesus and the posture of our heart before him with the age to come in mind. And this is how you, the heart starts to ascend above the clutter and the noise. Because if you can live there, whatever comes your way, whether painful or a blessing, you can rest assured that God is using it, whether it feels good or it feels bad, to ready you for the age to come. So the next time somebody sits down with you and says, hey, have you heard this about them? You go, mm, I'm not an authority. I can't move the dial. And if I did, it'd be outside my means of authority. And I've got too much going on in me. And I, I promise you, the moment you say that to them, they're going to go, oh, I might have a little going on in me too. And then you go, yeah, that's why you just said that to me. Our hearts are a full-time job. Full-time job. It's interesting that the Lord didn't rebuke Sarah for having a lustful thought. He rebuked her for having a doubtful thought. My God. So when the Lord tells us we will occupy that land, we will have a building, we will see millions come to the kingdom. When he tells you your child will serve the Lord who's, on, who's cracked out right now, he expects you to believe it. He expects you to do secret acts of kindness that nobody's looking at. Even if it never gets posted, you don't have to tell people about it. You actually believe that God is real and that he's watching and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. That's a wonderful way to live. 
if our hearts, the thoughts of our hearts, are being thoroughly examined, I don't have time to judge you. This has been very real to me. That not, not only the Bible teaches that our, the, the, the measure of trust that God gives us in the age to come, in eternity, our assignment. You don't think we're all going to be sitting on little clouds with angels fanning us with peacock feathers eating falafel for eternity, do you? You know, is Jess going to be just feeding me grapes one by one? May it be, Lord. May it be. Right outside my mansion. May it be. But, but you do realize, you do realize that heaven, heaven is filled with assignments. God's going to be entrusting us. Did you know that you will judge angels, some of you? That's what Paul wrote. Speaking to the divisive culture of the church, he said, what's wrong with you? You can't settle this. Don't you know you'll divide you will You will judge angels? And you can't have a talk with one another? And he, you want to judge an angel? You get it? So the age to come, the trust that God will give you or not is dependent on what I'm talking about now. I want to be like Jesus. I'm going to say it again. I want to be like Jesus. I want you to want to be like Jesus. And that's a full-time occupation. You're right. And... Mother Teresa, or not Mother Teresa, Teresa of Avila, whose name soon became Teresa of Jesus, which I think is just incredible. They threatened her teaching on prayer with the Inquisition. In Spain, the Inquisitors were, they didn't just sit you down. If there was a doctrinal issue, they killed you. And they asked her, don't you, feel, don't you fear the Inquisition? She said, I've been harder on myself than they could ever be on me. I don't fear it at all. I'm not saying condemn yourself. I'm saying when you do something and the word cuts open and reveals motive or the Lord uh, convicts you in those moments and you are actively listening, you are listening to the Lord and you're repenting, you're living a life of confession and repentance. It's just who you are. You realize, man, this is a full-time occupation. In that way, I am, more, I am harder on myself than anyone could ever be on me. That's what she was saying. I think it's beautiful. All right, let's get into the temptation of Jesus. Did that help you all? I just prophetically, I feel like we need to be that. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 2. Tell me when it's up behind me. Just say amen or something. All right. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, say by the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. I love this. I love that it was the spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness. Not the enemy. I also think it's incredible that Jesus got hungry afterward. I remember one time we were fasting, Jess and I as a couple. She was two hours into the fast. 
two hours. Hadn't even missed a meal yet. Hadn't even fasted breakfast. It was the middle of the day. Breakfast, then the fast. She goes, babe. How do you do this? I go, what? I do what? She's like, are these fasts always this hard? I go, babe, you haven't even fasted your first meal. It's 11. You ate breakfast. We all are hungry a day in, 30 minutes in. But here it says Jesus was hungry afterward. Mark 1, verses 12 through 13. Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. That's a different word than led. But now we see both. We see the, the humility of the Son to yield to the Spirit. And this tells us a few things. Number one, the Spirit is the Lord if the Spirit qualifies to lead Jesus. If the Spirit leads the second person of the Godhead, he is the Lord. Because none of us are leading Jesus anywhere. No angels leading Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit could lead the Lord. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days. Tempted by Satan was with the wild beasts and angels ministered to him. Then the last of the synoptic gospel account of the temptation of Jesus is found in Luke 4. So go to Luke 4, verses 1 through 2. Is this all right? Luke 4, 1 through 2. Then Jesus... Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Where'd that happen? We just spent three weeks on it. At the baptism. Say baptism. What river was he baptized in? If you're from Puerto Rico, what do you call it? Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil. Does God tempt us? Come on now. Say no louder than that. Does God test us? Yes. All right, we'll get there. In those days he (laughs) ate nothing, and afterward when he had ended, he was hungry. There we hear it again. Before I get into the details of these New Testament accounts, I want us to see that 
This is a fulfillment of a great deal of Old Testament prophetic scripture. Okay? Noah. Noah is commanded to build an ark that rests upon the waters. You remember that? The days were evil and God's plan was to preserve the seed of the Messiah. If we could, just limit movement as much as we can, please, while I'm teaching the word. Thank you. God's agenda is to secure the seed of the Messiah through a righteous man named Noah. And here you see water present, an ark present, and a dove present. You also see a bunch of animals present in the ark. As I said before, this is not God teaching Noah how to run a zoo. All right? The ark is the Lord Jesus. One day, the Bible, well, I should say, there was a moment, we don't have to go there, but you can read about this in the Genesis account. There was a moment where the ark door closes. And there will be a moment where the ark door of this period of grace will close. The ark is hovering above the waters. This is symbolic of baptism. The dove is released, right? And returns with a what? Speaking of the person of the spirit resting upon the ark with his anointing and peace. What did John see in the Jordan? The Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus, alighting upon him as a? It's all about Jesus. Why the animals inside? It's John 1. All things were created through him. Nothing was created that was created without him. Those animals being there is a prophetic declaration that Jesus is the creator of all. How about Jonah when it comes to water and baptism and the wilderness account? Jonah is in the belly of the whale for three days. Some believe he died. It's quite possible. I can't imagine. I'm not going to tell you what I think. I can't imagine it was the most comfortable spa-like existence in the gut of a massive fish, so it's quite possible. But here again we see that just like in baptism, that will take place here in just a few weeks, or when's the next one? A couple weeks. People die in the water. Remember that whale spit, spit Jonah forth. And the scripture says it wasn't possible that the grave hold Jesus. Because of his perfection, the earth could not contain him. Just like that fish could not contain Jonah. And he spit forth upon the waters. And then he goes to Nineveh and we see a massive move of the Holy Spirit. We see great repentance touch the city. They put on sackcloth and ashes. In just a few moments, well, actually the next time I teach, you will see that Jesus, when he comes forth from the waters and goes into the wilderness, that he comes back preaching something. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Just like Jonah. 
It's all about Jesus. But my favorite example that connects the baptism of Jesus and the wilderness testing, my favorite example is Israel's journey through the wilderness. Write this down. Jesus, as the firstborn, oh, this is powerful, would come to pass the test which Israel, God's firstborn, failed in the wilderness. As the root and the perfect man who represents the entirety of his church, Jesus made right what Israel failed in in the wilderness. This is amazing. I said, this is amazing. Remember what Jesus said. The first was sent to the people of Israel and he accomplished as one perfect God-man what they could not accomplish in the wilderness. Gosh, there's a lot I want to say. So when we look at the Israel account and the Lord's account in his temptation, we see beautiful connections between the book of Exodus, Numbers, Moses' writing, even Deuteronomy, and what took place in the life of Jesus. We have a Red Sea in Exodus, and we have the Jordan in the Synoptic Gospels. We have Moses' rod, and then we have Christ crucified, the true rod of God, in the New Testament. Amazing. I said amazing. In Exodus, we have Egypt. In the New Testament, we read of our past life of sin that is the Egypt of our lives. The book of Exodus says that Moses' parents take little baby Moses, listen to the beauty of this, and they put him in a little ark. Ark, I love that language. They build an ark and they commit that ark with little baby Moshe, and that word means drawn from the water. That's what his name means, one who came from the water. And here we have the Son of God baptized, coming forth from the water in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Coming forth from the water. The one drawn from the water. And Moses is sent from his parents in that little ark into the river. Speaking of the will of the Holy Spirit. As Moses was committed to the flow of the Spirit, just like Jesus was committed to his ultimate calling by the Father, and Jesus is led by the Spirit his entire life here. Eventually, Moses gets to Egypt, and this speaks of the Lord's calling to come and seek and save the lost. This is awesome. Awesome stuff. We see that Moses eventually in his life has this heart for his people, the Jews. 
And the Bible says something so powerful. I, I don't want you to turn there for the sake of time. But the Bible says something so powerful that Moses, this is the actual language, Moses chose the sufferings of Christ above the riches of Egypt. Doesn't just say God. It says he chose the sufferings of Christ. You want to go there? Let me read you one of my favorite versions. Hold on, give me a second. I'm going to try to do it out of the ESV. ESV. It's Hebrews 12, verse 26. I'm going to read you the ESV version. Moses 12, 26. Hebrews 12, 26. (laughs) You guys are just so funny and tricky. All right. Verse 26. (laughs) Listen, he, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ. Wait, I thought Moses was Old Testament. I thought Jesus is New Testament. No, Jesus is forever. I said Jesus is forever. The writer of Hebrews says Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. Saints always look to the reward. They're always looking to another day. And so we see that now. We see that here uh, Moses from the Lord receives this burden for his people and he's like I'm done with Egypt and he sticks up for the Hebrew slave remember that this is nothing less than a beautiful picture of the heart of the bridegroom who will one day come to marry his prostitute bride Israel who left him amazing right When the children of Israel are led out, how are they led out of Israel, of Egypt? Through the miracles? Nah, yeah, but no. What ultimately consummated their deliverance? The Passover lamb, the meal. They eat of the meal. The instructions come in Exodus 12. You're gonna, this is gonna freak you out. They eat the meal Every home has a lamb. Every home eats the meal. They leave Egypt, and what do they get to? Say the Red Sea. They eat the meal. Listen carefully. They obey. They leave their bondage. So in about 10 minutes, we'll receive communion. And if you want, you can leave your bondage too. Or you can take it like it's just bread and juice. And to be honest, suffer the consequences. You think, I'm not saying this will happen to you, but do you think it's by accident that the enemy entered Judas when he ate the bread? Well, different teaching. I'll come to Jesus school. I'll teach on that. So they eat the meal. They feast on the lamb. And then they are led by the Lord with the wealth of Egypt to the Red Sea. 
Are you ready? Jesus in John 1. All right, let's do this. Go to John 1. I'm going to leave the notes here for a minute. Go to John 1. What did they eat in Exodus before coming to the Red Sea? Come on, say the lamb. The Passover lamb. So they eat the lamb and come to the Red Sea. In John, verse, John 1, Ryan, grab this. Verse 29, have Amy read that. John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God. They eat the lamb and head to the Red Sea. Right? John is standing in the Jordan. Jesus approaches the waters. The Red Sea. And John makes the announcement. There's the lamb. We see the progression from the coming of the lamb to the dealing of the waters. When somebody is saved today, they receive the lamb of God and go into the waters. So here we see, it's so powerful, the connection between the waters of the Jordan and the waters of the Red Sea. Now, who began to chase the Jews when they got to the Red Sea? Egypt. Egypt. What was God's method of protecting them? By becoming their rear guard so that they could go into the waters. Many people get born again and they say, will my past ever catch up to me? Not if you follow the cloud into the waters and die and stay dead when you come out. The greatest way to be protected from your past is to stay yielded to the Christ who rests within the cloud. Hallelujah. Give me five more minutes. I hope you're enjoying this. I am. Now, oh man, the Jews go through the Red Sea. The devil is smart but not wise. He always overplays his hand. And he ends up hanging himself like Judas, like Absalom is hung by his glory, his hair. The pursuit of the devil and those who come into agreement with him they always overplay their hand and are hung by their own perceived glory. Now the Davidic heart says, no, 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 don't, don't hurt Absalom. But Absalom got what came, for, came to him by others. You have to be careful who and what you're pursuing. You might get hung up in a tree by your own Glory that looks like self-promotion usually. I'm just wondering if I can get into this part. We'll do it.
Did Egyptians come behind Israel because of their greed, their, their desire for more? And that cloud begins to lead Israel into the waters. And the Lord tells Moses, stretch forth your rod. Lift Christ crucified as high as you know. Don't change the subject. If you want to see waters part, if you want to see the protection of God, if you want to see Egypt die behind you, lift your rod above the waters. And the waters part, and Israel walks through on dry land. They didn't just part. God, I don't know, put like a deep frying dehumidifier in the bed of the Red Sea and sucked all the water out of there. They walked through on dry ground, the Bible says. The enemy comes behind them, and when Israel crosses over, God drowns the enemy. This is what happens in the waters of baptism. The enemy and his powers are destroyed in the waters of death. And when I say death, I mean burial. They are waters of life. They cross through and something hits them. Listen very carefully. Worship. Miriam writes a song. She's called the prophetess. For those of you who don't think that women have anything to say in the, in the church, well, do prophets ever speak? Or do they type Morse code? You cannot be a prophetess without speaking. And so Miriam begins to worship the Lord. Moses begins to worship the Lord. God destroys their enemies. That means worship should fill every heart that is truly born again. And all of a sudden... God leads Israel after baptism into the wilderness to be tested. To be tested. And they failed miserably. Jesus goes into the waters as the rod of God, the crucified and risen Lord, he comes forth from the waters, but prior to come, as he comes forth, the Spirit comes upon him, right? And what does Paul say to the Corinthians about the, the Jewish exodus through the Red Sea? He says they were baptized into Moses and baptized into the cloud, the Holy Spirit. Salvation, baptism, reception of the Spirit, it's all there. Jesus, our salvation goes into the Jordan, what was typified by the Red Sea, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him, just like the Jews were baptized into the cloud. Jesus goes into the wilderness after his baptism. The Jews went into the wilderness after they went through the Red Sea. Amazing. Elbow your neighbor in the shoulder softly. <laughs> softly. Very quickly, oh. <laughs> I can't. Somebody do that weird little giggle you did a little earlier. Okay. What about Joshua? 
What about Elijah? What about Elisha who struck the Jordan with the mantle? What about Moses in the wilderness at Sinai as a type of Jesus dying to his own flesh? On 40-day fasts, plural. And what about John the Baptist who was a man of solitude in the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord? Say, I'm not afraid of the wilderness because Jesus is the wellspring within me. Back to Joshua very quickly. Joshua takes Israel as the new leader of the camp, as the symbol and type of the Messiah who is to come. Moses symbolizing the law. Joshua, same name as Jesus, Yehoshua, symbolizes the Savior who now leads Israel to the promised land and they have to go through something, the Jordan. Sound familiar? And so he tells the priests, get the ark, carry it. You can't touch it, but you can carry it. That's a message to us. Jesus' image, we we can't touch the glory. We can carry it on poles. We can carry it on the cross. So now they, they take the ark. And above that ark, you have that glorious Shekinah. The glory of God himself, the very presence of the Lord that the writer of Hebrews says is Jesus. Hold on. Now you have priests thinking, most likely, I'm just carrying a box and some poles with the presence of God. Not knowing they are carrying Christ crucified straight into those waters. God parts the waters, in fact, lets them build up long enough at a certain point in the Jordan the point that the water's built up is, is, you know what the village is called? Adam. That was better than you thought, but it's okay. The water's parted at Adam. Jesus came to redeem humanity, the Adamic, the Adamic condition. He came to separate the waters, to, to, to give us breakthrough in our person that was fallen, in our Adamic curse. And so these waters part as they're carrying the ark. I can just see the Lord Jesus when he walks into the waters of baptism and John's standing there and he's like, I've kind of done this before. This is familiar water. Not only did I make this, but I parted this for Joshua. Oh, Amazing. Would you help me, Ludi? And the first city that fell was Jericho. Remember? Joshua went over. Did the walls come down in Jericho because of their great attack? No. What did God tell the Israelites? March around it quietly. Speaking of one day, walls will come down. Not due to human work or capability. The day is coming where the walls of those who've crossed through the Jordan 
walls will crumble because of the divine work of the Holy Spirit. So rather than put a, a, a hammer to the walls, the Lord says, at the end of it, just lift a shout. And this tells us and speaks to us about the New Testament method by which walls fall and fortresses are taken through worship. Amazing. And the test actually lies in Israel's success. And so when you get saved, haven't you heard a million times? The greatest test you'll ever face is the favor test. Will you give to the Lord what rightly belongs to him? And Achan did not. Here you see the Lord asked for first fruits. It's all about Jesus and his body. Isn't this glorious? I said, isn't this glorious? Can we give the Lord praise this morning? Just for his goodness. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can like and subscribe to help us continue to reach people around the world with the gospel. Give today at jesusimage.tv forward slash give. You can also join us in person or online every Sunday at Jesus Image Church. For more information on Jesus Image, events, Jesus School, and resources, visit jesusimage.tv.